Commission's performance during the last eight years. Individuals who wish to advise the FCC of facts relating to our renewal application and to whether this station operated in the public interest should file comments and petitions with the Commission by November 1, 2013. Further information concerning the Commission's broadcast license renewal process is available at 1929 Martin Luther King Jr. Way in Berkeley, California, 94704, or may be obtained from the FCC, Washington, D.C., 20554. You're listening to KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno. Good afternoon and welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book. I will be your host for the next half hour, Javelin Richards, as I come to you every third Friday. And I'll actually be on the last Friday of this month as well. Not sure who my guest will be. And today, uh, the, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a little longer, I had a guest on, Edith Boone, and she was on for a shorter time than I desired. And some of you who called in and wanted to hear more of her story and the work that she's doing. So I have her on the first half of this half hour. And in the second half, you'll actually hear a recorded uh, conversation that I had with one of my cohorts here at the station, and that would be Nina Serino, who interviewed me uh, about my upcoming show at uh, La Pena Cultural Center. I know that many of you are familiar with La Pena Cultural Center. It's a wonderful space that's been here for decades, serving our community here and globally. And that would be the 23rd, 24th. You'll hear more about that at the annual Mrs. Pat's House where I will be performing. So for right now, we're going to talk with Edith Boone, who's here with me in the studio. Edith, I'm glad to have you back and welcome back to KPFA. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be back. Yes. I feel like we didn't finish speaking. We didn't finish. We'll, and we'll probably have an ongoing conversation because you and I have worked. I first met you when you actually did a painting for Mrs. Pat's house. And the, uh, you actually created the home and the children who played outside of that house. So that's mm-hmm. when I was first introduced. And then since then, you and I have had an ongoing conversation whenever we have a chance. Right now, you have some of your work uh, at the American African American Culture Center in San Francisco. You're also working with youth on a mural in Richmond. In Richmond, mm-hmm. and the and then I just finished a mural with M Seniors in Richmond. And then there's a documentary being made about you that may appear on PBS called A New Color. That's true. Talk, well, okay, so I can sit back and just just jump in and tell us what you think we should know. Well, okay, so let's talk about the documentary first. Um, The documentary is called A New Color because when I was a little girl, I always wanted to make a new color. And so Mo Morris, who's doing the documentary, decided that that should be the name of the documentary. So I thought that was a good idea, too. So she's been following me around, and I've been doing different. I worked in West Oakland and doing different projects, and so that's that's how the documentary, and we're trying to raise money to finish the documentary, which should be um, 
finished in 2014. Why did Mo, her name is Mo Morris, and she's a filmmaker. Yes. Why did Morris find you so fascinating that she decided that she wanted to make a documentary, which is a huge, fantastic project. I saw a six-minute clip of the film, and it's fascinating. Why you? What, what was her attraction? You know, I keep asking myself the same question. You know, I don't, I mean, I think that um, because of her children, I had um, two of her children from the time they were in kindergarten at Berkwood Edge School. So I think that that because of the way that I was with them, I think that that's why she chose me. Don't because the kids really did care about me. And um, I think that's the reason why. I'm not sure. I, I never asked her that question. Well, really. I cheated. I oh, cheated. Oh, you asked her? I did. Oh, what did she say? I cheated. <laughs> I cheated. Well, she said what you just said. What? She said she watched you with her children and watched how they connected with you and the work you were doing was so giving and serving of their needs. And you listened to them and they blossomed and they trusted you. This morning I was on a, a um, radio interview with Wanda Sabir. She said you helped raise her child. I did. Mm -hmm. That you not only love the children, but you bring them into a world of art. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about you saying that you wanted a new color. I wanted to make a new color, a color that no one else has seen. I'm still trying, you know, that a color that no one else has seen in this world, that maybe I could bring a new color to the world. But it hasn't happened yet, you know. And the children that you're working with in Richmond, the project, how are they responding to well, I've only been working with them a little while, and it's been really a wonderful experience because I worked in West Oakland with underserved children, and I didn't get to, it was in a school, it was in West Oakland school, and I did a, a beautiful um, uh, food mural with them, learning what foods to eat healthy, and it was a lot of fun. And they were underserved kids, but it was, they were in a healthy environment. Now I'm in... Um, um, an environment that doesn't look healthy because it looks, you know, unhealthy. And I know a lot of things that the children are not being cared for the way they should be cared for, or the way children should be cared for. So I had the opportunity to, and it's, I have from five years old to about 13 or 14 years old children. And, um, I've only known them for about three or four weeks, but I've gotten to know them better, and I just love them. And we just did a mural, and I said, well, how can I do this mural? Whereas, and so I told the kids the story, and they knew the story about Trayvon Martin. They knew, and they all had hoods on that day. And my first project that I brought to them, I wanted them to do something that would be easy and that they wouldn't fail. So I bought a big picture that my son gave me of a teddy bear. And so the teddy bear represents love, and even even grown-ups like the old teddy bears. And so I thought that that would be a, a easy for them to draw. And plus, um, Billy, um, the woman who manages the center there, she had a couple of teddy bears. So we put the teddy bears up, and the kids drew teddy bears, and they were so proud of those teddy bears. Now, help me connect the dots here. So Trayvon Martin 
and or did you bring in the teddy bears and the pictures for them? Well, I had no idea. Let me just finish telling you the story. So when I bought, when I bought the picture of the teddy bear for them to draw, all I wanted was to connect with them, to have them trust me, and to show them that they could draw and they could do this simple thing of making a teddy bear, that it wasn't hard. And they did it. I mean, they really did a good job. And, um, and then when they came in with the hoods on their head, I connected the, the hood on their head with Trayvon Martin because they all had hoods on their heads. You know, when they were coming in the morning, they would have hoods on their heads because it would be cold and they had these little things with the hoods on. And so I connected the teddy bear, this is the artist way, with the with the hood, and I thought about Trayvon Martin, and he's been on my mind so much this this month since since the verdict went out that I haven't been able to think about it. And plus the fact that um, you know that he's just been on my mind, and um, I knew that um, I connected him with the kids, and so I told them the story, and they knew the story. They heard it from their parents or out in the street and stuff like that. And we talked about the character of the skin with Martin Luther King. You know, the character, I said this again, uh, the the character of the person and not the color of the skin and how people should be judged. The stereotype thing. And so I just said, okay, if each one of these kids are holding a teddy bear and have their hood, what kind of statement would that make? What statement would that make to people who would see that? So this is going to be on the mural? This is going to be on their mural. Oh, my God. So, so we traced each other's bodies. To tra- the kids' bodies were traced. And then we put the teddy bears in their hands. And so they're all holding teddy bears with hoods. And it's a real powerful mural. We have other things in it, but it's, it's a real powerful mural. Very powerful design, I feel. Well, listening to it and hearing that is... In- the images in my own mind is powerful and also an extension of that as a and a, as a part of that. If you can imagine, if it's been on your mind, then we can only at least lend ourselves the possibility that it's on their mind. Kids listen to their parents talk about debrief uh, process, and then they're walking with hoodies to and from for whatever particular reasons, and then they have this story of they're someone dying. They're probably doing it in defiance. In I was defiance. Thinking, I was thinking that, too, because every morning they would come with the hoods on, you know. And I'm saying, you know, well, it was cool in the morning, so I would see that. And I one morning I came and I had a hood on on my jacket, you know, to cover my head because it was cool outside. So this is something simply that people do in the world today is wear jackets with 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 hoods on the back of it. You know, all kinds of people do that. You could see it out in the streets, you know. And um, what was interesting is that we had conversation about that. We had conversation about why he got killed. The only thing that we didn't have conversation about is that the that Zinnerman was found innocent. And I, I, I hope to get to that in the end, but I want to approach it in a way to let them feel safe because children need to feel safe. If he got proven innocent, then, you know, that's not going to make them feel good. It's like it didn't make us feel good. So you have to find a way to say it where it's going to make them feel safe but let them know that grown-ups are aware that maybe he shouldn't have been proven innocent. 
mm-hmm. you know, or maybe they need to get rid of that law of stand your ground because it doesn't make sense. Which is what they're working on now from uh, from in, in different levels and different places and different people are taking on their responsibility so we can hope that that does happen. Yeah. And so when will this project be completed so that I or others could see it and where will it be? Well, um, like the um, the seniors' mural, uh, we would like to go and put it in display where people can actually see it and not just be in a room. So the seniors' mural is at the library, the Richmond Library. Richmond Library. In Richmond. In Richmond. And so we're going to try and get the, at maybe the children's mural at City Hall. You know, at the Richmond Art Center, there are so many places. That so you're are finding a place and finding a place where these um, this mural could go. Because I think it's going to be a very powerful mural. I think it's going to educate not adults but children. I think this is a children's message to children. A children's message to children. This is this is when I look at it, I see that because it looks like children's art, but you could still see the the the, the hood. You can still see the teddy bears, and you know it's children holding it, and it's a children's message to children. And you can still see that a child worked on it, and they got their handprint all through it with messages in their hands. So um, I think this is a children's mural to children. Which is a different, it, just the, the thought of that is, is very different just to think about that youth children are able to look at something that has been deemed dangerous in a culture, something as simple as a hoodie and wearing it uh, on a person that is visibly brown or black and then they become a danger where you take the same hoodie and then you put it on someone from a different background and it's a hoodie on a person being warm in the winter, a coolness, right? Mm-hmm. And that the teddy bear for me as a listener, and I look forward to seeing it, is that here's this person in a hoodie with a teddy bear that's sort of self-soothing, uh, that we need to take care of ourselves, to find something in the world to take care of when under those stressful, challenging times of our life, we ha- there has to be a go-to, whether... It's a thumb in your mouth, a teddy bear, a um, blanky blanky, whatever one calls it. And I like that uh, you said earlier, part of maybe why Mo cared about, uh, was drawn to you and your work with the youth is that, uh, and you said it, you, you, you make, you try to create a world where they're safe. Yeah. That you create a world. So, uh, and I'll keep our listening audience updated on where that mural would be for those that would love to just see it and take their kids, just mm-hmm. to do it, just to experience mm-hmm. something in contrast mm-hmm. to. And so the film, where, when do you, I know that, that you said Mo is, they're raising funds to complete the film. I believe that people can see a clip of that at a new color documentary.com. That's a new color, all one word, documentary included in that dot com. Over the years, you've worked in Harlem. If that's with good, kids. With children. Mm-hmm. You came to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Ed, this, this may not be the fairest question, but in the 21st century now, is there anything different for children uh, that you've been working with? You started off working with children and... Uh, in the 20th century now? That's a good question. Um, 
I think that what's different is that we had a lot of support system more. Although it was still races that that people was um rich people were using uh, poor people to be, become rich like through their through doctors through through dentists through uh, the whole bit operations and you know the the whole bit doing doing experiments on us the whole bit it's just i can just go down the list of things that i thought of that has been has hurt the african-american person person and family but also um the best part that what i am trying to do is that the best part of my life was that i had the boys club the boys and girls club there was the pa pal there were things that we can go to that we can learn and and stuff so there was a little support system out there for us okay Everything has been taken away from these kids. There's no, there's, there is a PAL in, in Richmond, but the, everything is just fragmented. You know, it's not, it's not there. It's not, it's not really there for the kids. And also, like when the Martin Luther King March went, there were all kinds of people there. And when we were trying to bring about change, I remember I used to be in this organization called Schick. And a white woman would wear this, a very nice outfit. I would wear a very nice outfit. We had the same credentials, same job, same money, and go look for a place. And they would always give it to the white person. That's how we were able to change that in New York City. You know, the show that, you know, we were able to change that and went to court and stuff. But what I see now is that I know that there are a lot of people, Asian people, white people, Indian people, all Vietnam people, all other kinds of people know that black people are treated terrible. I mean, I really feel like there's just a total disrespect. Not that black people are not disrespecting themselves, but they have people are not jumping up and stepping up to the plate like they did long time, 50 years ago. So you're saying that the, the difference for children is they're, they're, the places they, they go to, as you experienced in your own life, has been uh, th- there is not available, accessible, and then secondly, that there is not enough adults that as well that is supporting. I think that, I think that people need to come together and step up and say, hey, I'm tired of seeing, going through these ghetto neighborhoods and not seeing any trees, not seeing any gardens, not seeing any flowers. Why is this happening to these people? I want to know why people are not asking questions and not stepping up and helping and coming in and helping and trying to bring about change in the African-American. Um, and until the change is coming, all this killing is going to come because they have the permission. I, I was thinking about something today and jumping, changing the subject. That when I was a little girl and became a teenager, they had this thing as um, people used to be in clubs. So I was in the sportsman club, not really in it, never went to a meeting or nothing like that. But And I had this little boyfriend that that was the sportsman president, you know. And then one night, someone called and said, hey, Edie, come on downstairs. We're going downtown to fight some other club down on Avenue D, right, you know. Because they made us, and I didn't even know what it was all about, right? But I knew that I could not go out of that house <laughs> and fight 
some other, you know. But but the children are doing that now. They're just getting one call. Hey, so-and-so did this to me or one gang did this to me. And they're fighting one another. And they were doing that a long time ago. One block on another block, another block on this block. And it's not taking territory over the block, and which is really, really foolish. And it's the same thing when you look at the bigger picture of what's happening in, 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 in Israel and the Palestines and all other countries. Countries are fighting for land. And it's, and it's really, really, really stupid because it's really not important. Well, there seems to be a con- uh, continuum in terms of our history as human beings. And so I, what I do appreciate as we come to our closing together is that you as your visual artist try to reflect that inside of your work, inside of the faces Uh, and I was able to see some of that at the African American Culture Center in San Francisco, which our listening audience, if they would like to go, how how long would that uh, display be? It's going to be until the end of September. The end of September, mm-hmm. and I love the images, the eyes of the people, uh, the the intimacy of the people that you have created in your painting. And as we close, I'd like also for folks to know that they can go to a new color documentary dot com and have an opportunity to actually see uh, Edith uh, Boone's work. Uh, this is a film by. Uh, Mole and uh, Mo Morris, and our second half that we're going to bring you is a pre-recorded interview that I did with um, one of my cohorts here at KPFA. So enjoy and Edith, thank you so much. Thank you so much, and thank you for the opportunity to be here today. All right, I'm Jablin Richards, cover to cover, open book, and today my guest is, and also part host is Nina Sereno, and she is a poet, and she's also, uh, we've decided that we're going to interview, she's going to interview me today. Most of the time, we bring you poets, writers, theater people, film folks all over the world. That's what Cover to Cover Open Book is about. And we've decided to talk with one another about who are we. So Nina is going to talk to me about my upcoming uh, play, Mrs. Pat's House at La Pena Cultural Center, August 23rd and 24th. Welcome, Nina. Well, thank you so much. It's really fun to be a guest on Cover to cover open book because usually I'm the host of the first Friday of the month, the Poet to Poet series. But now as the guest, I get to sit back and just enjoy the ride. And, you know, I've been so curious about this performance. Uh, tell me something. What is it about? Mrs. Pat's house is a brothel in Cleveland, Ohio, during the Great Depression, 1936. And what this is is research of the truth of what the uh, first brothel really was. The first brothel in history, it was more of women in spirituality. The first brothel under a matriarchal sky was a place to bring your broken spirit. If you were emotionally, spiritually uh, hurt, uh, broken, you would come here for the spirits, the, with the people who worked here, to tell you your true story, to bring you back to your ancestor uh, energy, and to speak to that part of you to, so that you could know your true name again and go back out in the world. Well, would they do it through sexuality? They would go through story, through food, through laughter, through music, through dance, through whatever it is that you needed to happen. They would find that. they. Uh, so today we would call them therapists, psychics, uh, fortune tellers. Then they were people who knew coming in the world that they were not going to be a part of the mainstream culture, whatever that was, and they would 
find a way to create this space, this home, this brothel, if you will, and that they would open the doors to anyone, uh, no matter where they came from. And so Mrs. Pat's house, the characters, the people that you see that come there, they are people who have been broken by the isms in which we are experiencing in the 20th and 21st century. Racism, uh, homophobiaism, ageism, um, uh, physical, uh, your physical ability in the world. So all of the above. And do you play all the characters? I play all the characters. It's a solo performance piece. And I also have my musicians who accompany me on stage. And the music is rooted in jazz and blues. And the music is an extension uh, of the voice of the ancestors. So how did you go about writing this? It's called improvisational narrative. And what that is, is that for me, uh, is I began to dream and pay attention to my dreams and ask the questions of what story am I supposed to tell. And this story came to me maybe four years ago, and I introduced it through La Pena Cultural Center, who had been supporting Mrs. Pat's house. And I was hungry to know, because I'd been doing some research, and I decided to do a second master's. And in that uh, process, I discovered that uh, under, as I said earlier, a matriarchal sky, that a brothel really was where you came to heal your spirit. And so when I began to ask that question in my dream world, the characters began to come to me, to speak to me, to share with me their story and how they came to be at Mrs. Pat's house. So you said it was set in Ohio. Cleveland, yes, Cleveland, in Cleveland. Ohio. So mm-hmm. that would put it in a pretty contemporary Time, yes, which certainly is not matriarchal, unfortunately. Right, but in Mrs. Pat's house, they reclaim that, and so the people who uh, came there, they somehow, somehow, if we really think about it, there are places that we go in life that still maintains that matriarchal energy, which is why I went to do the second masters. This is a program around women's and spirituality, and which is why I do the work at La Pena Cultural Center that supports the voices of women, supports women in spirituality. And that's very important to do any kind of work where we're reclaiming, rediscovering the the mythologies and the true history. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm planning to go to the performance on the 23rd, but then there's also a performance on the 24th. On the 24th. And also, for uh, I'm giving away five tickets for uh, anyone who calls into the show, five free tickets to come see the show. And this is a performance on the 23rd and 24th of August at La Pena Culture Center, 8 o'clock. For people who really want to understand and to connect with their sense of spirit and to connect with the characters, there, Mrs. Lucy, who is there because of ageism. She's 103. She's been in vaudeville. She's with through the Chitlin circuit. She has defied racism. There is Miss Lily, Miss Lily, who is passing as a blonde, blue-eyed woman, but was really born to a round, brown woman from Alabama, Geechee country. And then there is a man who is, it's a boy. It's a boy who loves to dress in women's clothing and what his struggle was in 1908 until the time he arrived to the brothel. So most of the characters are born in the late 1800s or the early 1900s and they end up in 1936 at Mrs. Pat's house and all of them arrive because the shadows somehow find them all over the planet, hold them and bring them like a magic carpet ride to Mrs. Pat's doorstep. 
Well, it sounds very exciting. I can't wait to see it. I look forward to seeing you there on opening night, actually. Well, yes, that's another <laughs> excitement, opening night. Opening night. And also, I want to thank you for inviting me to be on Open Book as a guest. It's a very fun, wonderful feeling, and I like the idea of KPFA producers working together. Working together to show the work we do and a love that we have and appreciation of each other's work. So, I again... Five callers, a tickets giveaway to Mrs. Pat's house, uh, La Pena Culture Center, uh, August 23rd and 24th. Thank you, Nina, so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Cover to cover, open book. I'm your host, Javelin Richards, every third Friday. Bravo. We did it. That worked out well. Yeah. You doing this business? Sounded wonderful to you? Yeah. Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. 